G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Let's pray as we come to God's Word and to dwelling on it. Father in heaven, as we read these Bible stories, we really are taken back to an encounter with the Lord Jesus. Not just in the sense that it's his earthly life that we're reading about, but knowing that even today, it is your word to us. Our God speaks to his people. And Father, we we pray, would you please... Grant us to be a listening people today, great hearers, not just with our ears but with our heads and hearts. Please work that in us. Please work this message that we might learn the character of our King. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So folks, today we have a week kind of in between series, having just finished off Joel, uh, we've got Paul Kupke from Kingston coming to preach to us next Sunday and then after that uh, we have a, a, ser- a new series beginning. So we have this, this one week in between and where we're going to take some time out to look at this topic of forgiveness, forgiveness. Let's begin with a little story and the point here really is just to recognise from the get-go that forgiveness, it is a messy business. It really is. It is so much more than just words on a page. It is so much more complicated than just a command to go on, can't you just forgive and forget? Forgetting is even such a great idea. Uh, it, It is so much more complicated. Here's the story. In the story, Rick's marriage has pretty much fallen apart. And so he goes to see Ken, a fellow Christian and a counsellor. Here's Rick speaking to begin with. I just can't forgive Pam's adultery, Rick said. She says she's sorry and she's begged for forgiveness, but I can't forget what she did. It's like a huge wall between us, I can't get through it. So you think divorce is the answer? Ken asked. Rick replies, I don't know what else to do. I told her that I forgive her, but I just can't be close to her again. She's depressed and has withdrawn even further from me. I'm afraid that she's going to look for intimacy with someone else again. We're both in agony and it seems like we'd be better off divorced. I begin with such a heavy story at the outset to remind us that forgiveness, it's not theoretical, is it? It's not just analytical. Forgiveness ain't pretty. It is the stuff of real hurts... It is most needed when things are most broken and there are all kinds of factors, all kinds of factors. He said, she said. We have our selective memories about how things went. We have our side of the story. There's family history involved and there's personal baggage involved. There's mishearing and then there's misinformation. There are questions about whether you even apologise to me, so can I even forgive you? And there's, or maybe you did apologise to me, but I don't think you really meant it. 
It is not a flattering side of us that forgiveness exposes, uncovers. And I suspect we can at least sympathise a little bit with Peter's question to Jesus there in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I mean, seven times is pretty generous, isn't it? Seven times, if someone comes to you and they they stuff up again and they're seeking forgiveness again, they're repenting, seven times, I mean, seven times, that is pretty generous. There must be a limit, right? No one can just forgive and forgive and forgive. How could anyone do that? And so today, I want to say that if you can relate to any of that pain, brother, sister, There is a hope in the gospel for a real life that is beyond grudges and beyond that kind of hanging on to the sin of the people around us. In the gospel of Jesus, there are the resources, I believe, and I think this passage shows us, in the gospel of Jesus, there are resources to keep on drawing forgiveness out when we thought the tank was dry. Someone once said, unforgiveness, unforgiveness is the poison that we drink, hoping others will die. And if you've been drinking that poison for many years, then today I want us to see that enough is enough. Unforgiveness kills us. It sucks the joy out of our life. It brings no glory to Jesus, as we'll see. And there is a life with God, with forgiveness for you and from out from you to the world. Ken could see the weariness in Rick's face. Ken speaking, I'm sure both of you are in terrible pain, Rick, but I don't think divorce is going to end it. You'll just trade one kind of pain for another. There is a way to keep your marriage together and to truly put the past behind you, but you won't find it with the empty forgiveness that you've offered Pam. Now, Rick speaking, what do you mean empty forgiveness? Rick, imagine that you had just confessed a serious sin to God and for the first time in your life, he spoke to you audibly, I forgive you, Rick, but I can't ever be close to you again. How would you feel? After an awkward pause, Rick replied, I guess I'd feel like God hadn't really forgiven me. But isn't that exactly the way you are forgiving Pam, I ask? Now, from this point on, the story goes on and on. I won't won't tell the, the whole thing, but eventually they arrange to meet together with Pam, the wife, the repentant wife in this picture. And Pam walks in and I think she imagines that the writing is on the wall for her marriage that she's about to have discussions about how to end. It's the beginning of the end. That's what she's thinking. I'll just read this last little snippet. When Pam came in, doubt and fear were written all over her face and as soon as she sat down, Rick began, Pam, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I have sinned so terribly against you. You asked me to forgive you and I wouldn't give you real forgiveness. Instead, I have punished you with my bitterness and coldness. I've been wrong. Will you please forgive me? Pam dissolved into tears. 
In between sobs, she poured out her own feelings of guilt and shame along with her fear that Rick could never really forget what she'd done. Reaching out to take her hand, Rick responded, I can understand your fear. I haven't handled this the way I should. I forgot how much God has forgiven me, but he has helped me today and I want to forgive you the way he has forgiven me. So with his help, I promise not to dwell on this anymore. I promise never to bring it up and use it against you. I promise not to talk to others about it. And I promise not to let it stand between us. And Rick wrapped his arms around Pam and they cried together for several minutes. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Brothers and sisters, the first thing that we've got to know about forgiveness in the kingdom of God is that lavish forgiveness, all out forgiveness, no holds barred forgiveness that that is a God thing and it is not an us thing. We wouldn't come up with that. It is a God thing and it starts with him. It starts with the king of the kingdom. Please read along with me. Uh, Jesus answered, verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And therefore, here comes the picture, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Now, let's pause there. Do you know how much 10,000 talents is? Do you know how much that is? It's sort of 10,000 talents. What's a, what's a talent? What, it is like saying a billion dollars, you know, a stupendous amount. So, a talent is like the highest unit of currency that they had going and 10,000 is like the biggest number that they had going, right? So it's like a billion dollars, a man who owed a billion dollars was brought to him and verse 25, where do we go? Since he was not able to pay, no surprise there, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now what's going on there? Now the Leon Morris, have you come across him before? Australian theologian, late Australian theologian now, he died 10 years ago. Um, He points out, look, repay the debt, that little phrase at the end there, that's, you know, that is generous talk to begin with. That's not really what... A few slaves and their possessions does not amount to a billion dollars. The point, says Leon Morris, the point is that the man was being punished for his offence. Not that he was fully reimbursing the king for what he had lost. The sale was a gesture not a settlement. And so, in desperation, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Give me more time, won't you? I'll pay back everything. Maybe. but taking pity on him. See, he's not even given more time. Did you notice that? He isn't given what he asks for. He is not given more time. The king doesn't impose a repayment plan and talk about how much has got to come out of his salary each week. 
and we'll get it back eventually, mate. Don't worry, you and me, we'll put it together. No, what does the king do? He takes pity on him. No one is going to prison, cancelled the debt and let him go. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I have a hard time with this verse. Why? It's, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Not so much my mind, but my heart, do you see? Because we know what the picture's about, don't we? We understand how it's supposed to match up to reality. Do I, in my heart of hearts, do I believe that this is the kind of debt that God, the God of the universe, has forgiven me in Christ? That this is the character of God, the King, over the Kingdom of God? This million, billion dollar, unpayable sum, do I believe in my heart that that is the scale of the debt that I have run up before God? I believe it in my mind, sure, yep, I'm a sinner and I could tell you about, I won't burden you with telling you about all the things that I've done, this and that and whatever else. It's in my head but is it in my heart? Do you see the problem that we have connecting with this parable? The heart is deceitful as we heard from Jeremiah. Isn't one of the reasons that we struggle to forgive our fellow man, our brother and sister, precisely because that logic hasn't made the journey, has it, from my head to my heart. So I don't feel myself in that situation before the king. Here's Ken Sandy, the Ken from the story before. He is a real counsellor and an author. He's written a wonderful book called The Peacemaker, uh, which I'd warmly recommend to you, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. He says this. He says, this parable illustrates an attitude that is all too common among Christians we take God's forgiveness for granted while we stubbornly withhold forgiveness from others. In effect, get this, in effect, we behave as though others' sins against us are more serious than our sins against God. If you are struggling with unforgiveness, he advises, take another look at the enormous debt for which God has forgiven you. Sometimes it takes conscious thought, doesn't it? And it's stuff we don't want to dwell on and stuff we don't want to remember and call to mind. He actually recommends make a list. If you're struggling with this, get out a piece of paper, stuff I've been forgiven for at the top and start writing. See how you go. Chances are that sin that your brother's made against you, it'll seem pretty small pretty soon. But when that servant went out, when that servant went out, verse 28, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. <laughs> Just notice we're not talking about talents anymore. Did you see that in the story? The story starts, 10,000 talents, a billion dollars. Now what are we talking about? Denarii. Do you know the exchange rate, so to speak, between a denarii and a talent? Do you know how they weigh up against one another? <laughs> Just for comparison, right, how's that against talents? How many denarii per talent? 6,000. One denarii is worth a man's wages. So, you know, a, a debt of 100 denarii, yeah, that's substantial. Three months' wages, what does that equate to? Something like a car loan, something like that? I don't know, it depends on how much you spend on your car, I suppose. But do you see what I mean? Three months' wages, thereabouts. 
100 denarii. What is one talent? 6,000 denarii. So let's do the maths here. I can see the maths mind's churning. How much is 10,000 talents worth? 60 million denarii. Have I done the maths right? Have I got the zeros right? 60 million? Are you serious? 60 million on one side, 100 denarii on the other side, verse 28. When that servant went out, forgiven by the king, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, using exactly the same words as he just used before the king, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Thrown into prison, how does that work? The logic is, when your man's in prison, you'll find a way. O wife, O children, if your man's in prison, you will find a way. I'd just like to read on to the end. Now, please stick with me, verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened... They were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus speaking outside the parable, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. May I just draw your attention to one little phrase in there, which I think kind of unlocks the logic of this passage that Jesus is wanting to set before us. It's at the end of verse 33 there, one little phrase. Take another look there, end of verse 33. Verse 33 reads, shouldn't you, the king speaking, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just this last bit, just as I had on you. Just as I had on you. Dwell deeply on that. Because I think there lies the recipe for our forgiveness. Do you see it? The king, the king doesn't refute the guy's accounting. He doesn't, in a sense, he doesn't refute his justice at all. He doesn't take issue with the fact that this guy owed him a hundred denarii. Like that is a real debt. That is not the problem. The problem, what is the problem? The problem is imitation. Imitation. The king sets the tone for his kingdom and this guy has effectively just voted himself out of it. You of all people ought to know. You of all people ought to know what my kingdom is all about. You have just experienced it. So tell me, why should I let you loose amongst the citizens of my kingdom with a heart like that? Tell me why you should have a place in this kingdom of mine with a heart like yours. I wonder if you've ever thought about your place in the kingdom of God like that. I wonder if you've ever thought about your place just in church like that. Do we derive our character from the character of our King? Oh, what a forgiveness we've received from Him. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment, for a moment, that the way that you get into the kingdom 
is through being forgiven. No, 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 we must understand. The wicked servant, he was forgiven by the king when? By the king first, wasn't he? He received forgiveness first and then he had to learn it. I think that's significant. You start, friends, by coming to Jesus to receive forgiveness from all of your sins. You must start there and if you haven't started there, you must start there. Don't try to forgive other people without receiving the forgiveness of God in Christ. But as Christians, does our heart reflect our King's heart just as I had on you? Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Oh, Peter. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Why? Because forgiveness is what my kingdom's about, Peter. Because forgiveness is what my kingdom's built on. Because it's the only reason that you're a part of it, Peter. So let me ask you this morning. Has forgiveness taken root in your heart? Is it it a plant in your heart that is growing, that is thriving, that is flourishing? Oh, there may be setbacks along the way. It might might look pretty dead at times and then spring back. Do you nurture it and cultivate it? Do you want to see it flourish in your life? Forgiveness. Is it growing and is it thriving or is is forgiveness largely a stranger to your heart? Might you need to dwell a little more, perhaps in prayer, perhaps this week, perhaps this afternoon, on the immense debt that Christ has paid in our place, in my place, in your place, to grant us a place in his kingdom. I think that would be time well spent, wouldn't it? Just imagine the kind of community that we'd be if we really captured the king's heart on this. Not seven times forgiving one another, 77, a million, doesn't matter. Imagine fathers with our children, if we didn't tire of forgiving them, even after 77 times. I tell you what, that'd be a a household worth being in. Imagine with your friends like this. Imagine with your colleagues like this. In fact, imagine, and you'd have to tease out how this works, but imagine with your clients like this is some now I know there's there's business reasons you have to think this through but is the real reason that you want to put the screws on that contractor or that client not really because they've done the wrong thing but because there's no forgiveness in your heart do you see what I mean you've got to tease it out in every situation in life even in the workplace imagine forgiving colleagues imagine forgiving your ex or your son-in-law, or your ex-son-in-law. What a beautiful thing a posture of forgiveness could be amongst us. What a different thing. Oh, hard, yes, and painful, absolutely. And costly, but beautiful and healing and absolutely freeing. To conclude, I began with a story I'd like to finish with a shorter one, and it's one that I suspect most of you will know, actually, Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch Christian lady, a friend of Jews, a survivor of the concentration camp where her father and sister died. She very famously, of course, 
lived on after the war and went on to preach forgiveness, to teach people, to call on people, countless people, to forgive, to forgive the perpetrators. And I'll conclude with her words here. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. A former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, that's her sister, Betsy's pain-blanched face... He came up to me, the the man, he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendale the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again... I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. How about we pray? Father in heaven, we began with marriages in tatters. We concluded with the darkest days of the 20th century. We look to you, Father, as the one who can cultivate forgiveness in our hearts. It is beyond us. We recognise our need before you, our deep need. We recognise what a beautiful thing forgiveness is. And Father, we recognise that we can't do it on our own. Our hearts are turned inwards, not outwards. Father, have mercy on us. Thank you so much for the riches that we have in Christ, that endless store of forgiveness that we have in him that isn't seven times, it is 77 times, it is a billion times. Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray would you impress that upon our hearts this day. Father, would you impress it on our hearts the very next time that we need to see it there? The very next time a brother or sister sins against us and asks for forgiveness. Father, we need your mighty work, for you give the command 
but you also give the love. We pray that you would do that mighty, amazing, miraculous thing in us this day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.